With me to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 here this morning. We're just continuing on in a, a series that we started called Hope in the Dark as we started looking at uh, 1 Peter. And uh, as we continue on this morning, we're going to read verses uh, 16 through 18 this morning. I titled the message uh, Tried, Tested, and True. And it really ha- comes down to the truth of God's word and our ability to trust it. I, I so appreciated what Tori was sharing during worship, you know, that uh, she said, you know, that uh, believing is seen, and it's so true. But because God is so good, and he's so gracious, there are moments where he does things, and he's done things in all of our lives, where we've had revelations, you know, where God has revealed his love uh, and himself to us. And it could be through so many different things in life. It could be through, as scripture says, creation. It could be nature itself. You know, you could be praying and see a, a sunrise or a sunset. Uh, you know, you could see, you know, something in creation. Um, you could experience the kindness, you know, of another person and, and, and or the love of another person. Um, you know, I always think back as trying to help you wrap your mind around this this morning. We think about truth. Um, the little story of a little boy who um, was sitting outside in World War uh, II, uh, a little donut shop in Germany, and a German soldier walked out, and uh, he saw the young boy there, and he had a bag of donuts, and he walked past him, and their eyes made contact, and and the soldier just had compassion for this little boy who obviously uh, was hungry, didn't know anything about his life, if he was orphaned, but he knew that he was definitely, you know, he was dirty, and, and you could tell that he hadn't eaten. And so he walks past him about 10 feet or so, and then he turns around and comes back, and he hands the young boy the donuts. And their eyes meet again. Nothing said, and the soldier turns, and he walks away. And he gets about to the same spot where he turned around, and the little boy yells to him. He says, hey, mister. And uh, the soldier turns around, and he says, yeah. And he says, are you Jesus? And And you think about that, and it's such a, a kind of an acute reminder of something that's so simple to, to love and to serve people, that people, they make connections because if they've ever heard the word of God and they know that we serve a God who serves and a God who loves and cares and provides for people. And, and so um, when we think about this particular text this morning, there, there's so much truth. And, and it's so sad because we're living in a world where, you know, if you look at surveys today. And this can be surveys inside the church and outside the church. And do people believe, and it's a question I'd ask you this morning, do you believe in absolute truth? I always love it when somebody says, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And you go, well, you just made an absolute statement. I mean, (laughs) so you must believe in absolutes. But when it comes to the Bible, even believers, and, and and the thing that saddens me as a pastor is to to hear the numbers. I mean, to think that well over 75%, okay, that's a large number uh, of people who proclaim to be followers of Christ or believers in Jesus do not believe in absolute truth. And you go, "That, that is such a sad, sad thing because there are things that God definitely wants us to know absolutely. His love for you. He wants you to know absolutely his care for you. He wants you to know absolutely the fact that he went to a cross and he died for you and he rose again for you, that you could have eternal life. He wants you to know that absolutely. And yet because of the teachings today, 
that focus just so much on felt need and not just teaching the word of God. You know, I, I don't get to pick and choose. John doesn't get to pick and choose. You know, uh, I so appreciate John and his, his teaching. Um, the book of Proverbs, you know, in one sense, it's, it seems like it would be a very easy book to teach. But it, it, it's like a ping pong ball. I mean, to try to teach it, you know, expositionally, just line upon line, it, it just goes in so many different directions, you know, where I'm teaching this today and I'm taking a, a piece of scripture and, and it goes in order. You know, there's, there's a thought process that you can take, but you can't do that in the book of Proverbs. But we don't always have that luxury. But yet, you know, we teach whatever God teaches in the moment that God teaches it. And there's things that seem, to some people seem contradictory, you know, like election versus free will. And, and does the Bible teach both? And you go, I believe that it does. And yet I can't, you know, as Charles Spurgeon would say, I can't reconcile those two things and nor do I need to, as Charles Spurgeon said, I don't need to reconcile friends. But when I'm in the text that teaches election, I teach election. When I'm in the text that teaches free will, and people will argue that because they'll, they want to hold on to one thing or the other. And you go, it's not for me to decide. That's just God's word. And, and God will settle those things in our heart. You know, Spurgeon said, and I love this, and Deal Moody echoed it. He said, you know, like election and free will. He said, they're, they're like two, two rails on a, on a railway. And if you stand there looking at them, you know, they're X amount of feet apart. But if you stand and look out to across the horizon, it looks like it becomes one rail. And he goes, and, and over the course of time and eternity, that's exactly what will happen. Somehow, some way, those merge together. And yet God's word is truth. It's absolute truth truth. But unfortunately, we live in a world where everything is challenged, you know, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. One person says one thing, one says another. How many would say that you have been a little, by a show of hands, you've been a little confused during this whole COVID pandemic on what truth is? Raise your hand if, you, if you've been, at some point along the way, got a little confused about it, okay? I wanted to play this video, and it's not to, to be light, uh, and we can't show this at home, so we're going to go dark for a second here because it's a YouTube video, and what'll happen is if we show it to you, like we found out with uh, the Glory Boys or whatever, they, the Canadian group that came and we played their music, which they gave us permission to do online, we got bounced from YouTube for like 90 days. We got a timeout, okay? <laughs> So we're not going to do that again. So unfortunately, you can't. But you could you could type in at home if you're watching. You could say, go to Google and type in uh, funny uh, COVID, you know, explanation video or something, and, there, and it'll come up. And it's a, a a gal at her home, and she's doing a little kind of a, a newscast broadcast, and and she's doing this at home, and she's going through all the things that you know she's heard about. The pandemic. I mean, the reason I, I wanted to play that today is because it just is a, a kind of a funny reminder that, you know, and where you hear this a lot, you know, people will say, well, I'm following the science and we need to follow science to a certain degree, but it's what science are we following? You know, is it, again, is it, you know, subjective? Is it absolute? And what we realize is there's really only one thing that is absolute and that is God's word. And this just kind of heightens that because, you know, we're, we're told to believe, you know, so many different things that ultimately become contradictory. And so I wanted to play this little video for you this morning, and then we'll uh, read this text and we'll dive into this. But enjoy this little video clip.
when we and especially when you think about absolute truth and you know because some things are communicated as if it actually is absolute truth and then that truth changes and that truth changes and that truth changes and we recognize that apart from god's word and so when we look at this and and again i want you to take a look at it with me in second peter chapter one let's read verses 16 through 18 together and then we'll dive into this and just kind of dissecting this a little bit more as i shared with you in the previous weeks that we would uh, especially with regard to, I invited you to take a look at um, the Mount of Transfiguration, and that's what we'll do here this morning. It says in verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment and pray. Fathers, we read your word here this morning. May our hearts be open to what you have for us, and may we settle, Lord, within our hearts truly what we believe about your word and about you and your promises. And Lord, may those promises bring us strength and comfort. May they give us direction, Lord, as we walk in a dark world. And Lord, thank you that you haven't left us alone. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've given us one another, Lord. And so we thank you today. We look to you and we pray that, Lord, as we study together today, that, Lord, we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but, Lord, that we would be doers of your word. May it transform our lives, that we might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God is, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, you know, I, I'd ask this morning as we begin, how different do you think, and you don't have to raise your hand to this, but how different do you think your faith would be in Jesus if suddenly God whisked you away and he took you into heaven and you got to see your eternal home? You got to see the house, you know, that Jesus was making for you. And he said, you know, in my father's house are many mansions and I go and where I go, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, that you can be also. What do you think that would do to your faith? Do you think, and again, I just want you to, to think this through with me this morning. Do you think that you would live any differently? Do you think that that would impact the way uh, that you handle adversity in your life? What about suffering? Because remember, Peter is writing to a church that is suffering, persecution at its, at its pinnacle peak at that moment in, in human history. Uh, their martyrdom is, is gone off the, you know, the scale, so to speak. And fear has gripped so many people's lives. And so there, there's a reason why you know, this particular verse of scripture that we study today is right there in this moment, taking us back. And it's so easy just to gloss over it and to miss really what was Peter trying to communicate to the church overall that would speak to even us today that live in, in a dark time in human history where persecution we're seeing, 
you know, just in, in the last couple of weeks against, you know, conservative voice, which the church is part of that conservative voice in the world today, to be silenced. We're, we're seeing things that used to only pertain to the Bible, but now are pertaining to a broader spectrum of society. And we're seeing it, you know, in biblical proportions. And Jesus told us that these things must happen. They must occur before Jesus returns to this earth. And so I, I want you to think about that, you know, this morning, you know, would it help you if, if Jesus took you away today and you could see that place in which you would live? If you could see your home, you know, in heaven, and, and I got to believe that it would, that it would help to make things that are, you know, very painful and seem unbearable to become more bearable in our life. And, and again, that's what Peter is talking to us about here. Uh, and again, one of the things that he's warning about is because it, as we see in all the apostles, we see in you know, Paul's writings to the church, that wherever Paul would go in and proclaim the gospel, uh, he would call them Judaizers. Judaizers would come right behind him and try to undo. Jesus talked about that the enemy of our soul, right? The devil himself. When the word of God is being planted, it'll, it's happening right here, right now, even in this sanctuary. That wherever the, the presence of God is, the enemy's right there. There's, that's why we talk about trying to minimize the distractions, right? So when you're in a service, if you have to be one that gets up and, and you know, has to move around to either sit in the back or, or be somewhere else, that you're not a distraction because the enemy wants to use anything and everything he can to prevent the word of God from being planted in our hearts. He does not want that word because that word is powerful. Jesus said, if you had faith as what? As a mustard seed, right? It just takes a little bit of faith, you know, that to goes such a, a long, long way. And so there's so many false teachers that Jesus said in the last days that will be rising up. And you think about this, if over 75% of those that claim to be believers today don't believe in absolute truth, I mean, what do they say? That they're selective in what they believe. They'll, they'll listen to a Bible study and they go, and, and I hear it all the time from people in this church, people that I meet from other churches, they go, well, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't, I don't personally, you know, that, they'll make that statement. They'll go, I personally don't believe that. So what do you personally believe? And then, I mean, the stuff that we hear, you know, Pastor Mike Atkinson and myself and, and uh, Kevin were talking with a young man the other day. And man, I mean, some of the stuff, the longer the conversation went on, you go, wow, you start finding that so much of what people believe has nothing to do with the word of God, but it's something that either they've stumbled across, you know, on the internet or someone has told them this. And so our safeguard is always the truth of God's word, the infallible, unerring word of God that is absolute. And, and again, and, and God tells us that, you know, for our safety, for our protection. You look there, you know, in verse 16, when, when Peter says, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. And that word fables there can be translated myths. In the, in the Greek uh, language, it's the word uh, mutos. And again, it was always used in the New Testament in a, in a negative or a derogatory term. And it really was speaking of the pagan mythology. You know, you think of all the things that you hear within mythology and you go, man, where did they come up with that? You know, that stuff. It's crazy. And so people just need studying the book of Acts and, you know, Mars Hill, that there's all these different beliefs in the world. And many people just see Christianity as just another belief. But you think about that for a second. You go, if you were, 
you know, the devil, which you're not. But you go, if you were, you go, what way would you stumble people? Well, you would just put truth out there and then you'd try to do what? Put as many lies alongside it as you possibly can to do what? To deter, distract, to get people to go, well, I have to study them all before I'll come to believe what's true. And you won't ever have time because new lies are perpetrated every single day. And so here in this, you know, we, we understand as, as Peter's telling us, he's going, this isn't what, what he shared with us. He goes, it's not a, a cunningly devised fable. And we didn't follow it. He says, but we made known to you the power. And so you think about, you know, the stories in the Bible compared to like, say, uh, paganism or mythology. The stories in the Bible, they're what? They're of actual people, actual places, and most of them have dates and times. So again, they're things that, that, that Scripture is allowing us to do what? To identify and then to go back and to research and to check it. It's like if you study the Book of Mormon, guess what you'll find? That there is no city that's listed in the Book of Mormon that's ever been discovered. You know, you can go to Israel today and after a rain, you know what you can find walking around? You can find widow's mites just on the ground. They're, they're just there on the ground. People just, you know, had lost them, you know, civilizations. You know, they're there, but it, and it's listed in Scripture, and you can still find them today. You know, one of the great joys we have in touring Israel is going back to the very places that the Bible teaches. And again, and we're not talking about, you know, necessarily uh, a favorable environment. You know, I mean, you, you were talking about the nation of Israel. Do they truly, as Jewish people, want to validate the ministry of Jesus Christ in the sense of who he claimed to be. They still say, yes, we, we know Jesus lived. We can't argue that. I mean, he's all over the place. But to believe that he's the promised Messiah, you know, and you go, you think about, you know, how many prophecies, you know, you think about, because that's what makes Christianity different from every other religion. You, you need to understand this. It's the prophetic word. You can read the Talmud of the Jews in the sense that you can read, you know, I don't want to say the Talmud. You could say the the Quran, you can study, you know, Baha'i, you can study, you know, Jehovah's Witness, you can study any cult that you want. And what makes Christianity different, what makes Christianity unique is the prophetic word, meaning that in advance of the event, I mean, we're talking about thousands of years before the birth of Christ. There's over 300 prophecies alone concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. I'll share with you some information most of you know just at the very end of this service and you think about that in advance god would tell us what he was going to do it's like i said it's a great sermon you know right pastor tells you what he's going to tell you tell you then tell you what he told that's exactly what god has done so that why so that we could know that it's not changing he's the same yesterday today and forever but there's something in us you know that that craves oh you know i've been to church i've listened to bible studies and you go and it, and just you know we need something new i need something fresh you go well the bible is fresh every day his mercies are new every morning amen and, and to be reminded of those truths and, and again these are all verifiable you might say events and peter says you know we were eyewitnesses of his majesty and what is he saying? He goes, we saw Jesus with our own eyes. We saw him transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration. He goes, we were an eyewitness to that event. What did we see? They saw Jesus glowing. See, one of the things that you understand if you study the Old Testament is that every time that God revealed himself, he did so as light. You think about this. So Peter and James and John, again, making the connection. You know, Jesus is, you know, as John would declare, you know, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? 
God, right? And it says, and we beheld, we beheld God came in human flesh. We beheld his glory. It was veiled glory. Most of the time, you know, like I said, I mean, the greatest miracles that God was able to veil his glory. I mean, to think that how magnificent he is and that and he could veil it in human flesh. But here he lets it out. And one of the things that's really interesting, it goes back to what Tori said, and I just don't want to forget it because the Lord just quickened it to my mind when she said that today in, in worship, you know, that believing is seen. But here, because God knows our heart and God knows what we need, and he knew what Peter and James and John were going to need, that this is, it's not listed as a miracle. That's what's so amazing to me. It's not, the Mount of Transfiguration isn't listed as a miracle, but it should be. And it's the one time in scripture where Jesus doesn't take the disciples forward based on faith. He takes them forward based on sight. For them, this moment, and it was so needed because remember, and again, you just, that's why studying the Bible is so important to know in the backstory. Remember, Peter's writing to a group of people who are hurting. They're scared. They're, they're afraid. They're being killed for their faith. They're being marginalized for their faith. A lot of the same things that we're feeling today, not that we're being martyred, you know, uh, for our faith, but marginalized for our faith. You know, I, I saw yesterday that uh, said, you know, that uh, book publishers, if you were part of the Trump administration, usually when you, you know, go out of, you know, office, you write books and you go on a speaking trail, that all the publishers have got together and they're saying, you know, that they're not going to publish anyone who's associated with Donald Trump. And you go, what is that? And you go, well, it's, it's, a, it's a cancel culture. It's, we don't want to hear, you know, from you. We're, we're going to eliminate you. And those are things that we've seen in the church for a long time, right? But the world all of a sudden is going, what is going on? And so it's the church who becomes the, the beacon of hope, the beacon of light in a dark place. I mean, our ministry, church should just be growing as we go forward, you know, in this darkness in the world, because we know what to expect. And we know, as Peter does, we know the rest of the story here. But at this moment in time, understand, they didn't know the rest of the story. Their hearts, like I said, were broken. If you read the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, they, their hearts, they just learned that Jesus was going to the cross to die. And remember, you know, Peter's like, Lord, you don't have to, you know, the cross doesn't have to happen. You know, we can, you know, I'll fight for you. Everybody else is going to desert, you know, and you just go through all the stories of what took place. And then, and something I hadn't really thought much about through the years, but it really settled in this particular week as, as I was studying through this. You've read like I have where it says, whenever Jesus would go away to pray, what would the disciples be doing? Sleeping. You ever thought about why they were sleeping though? You know, we'd go, oh, they were, obviously they were tired. And you go, was it just fatigue because they were tired? I mean, Jesus, you know, was tired. But I think their fatigue was different. I think their fatigue is something that I and you can relate to. Their fatigue was tied to depression. Their, their fatigue was tied to the fact that they were scared. You ever, you ever just been so stressed out that you just wanted to go to sleep? You ever experienced that? You don't have to raise your hand to that because I think most of us have. And here they are. The, the, the Word of God tells us that exactly we know what they were doing. They, Jesus took them up onto the Mount of Transfiguration to pray. And then Jesus is praying and he comes back and they're sleeping. And you go, why? And you go, because they just got the news 
They, they have tried to process all the things that are going on. They are so wore out. They just, he comes back and they are sound asleep. And you see something beautiful within that. You know, Jesus doesn't come back in that moment and rebuke them. He does what? In that moment. He knew that for them to get through this, because they're about six months away from Jesus going to the cross at this point of Mount of Transfiguration. So they understand, you know, that there's something coming up, but they don't understand it, that Jesus has told them that he's going to die and that he's going to go away and that these things need to happen and, and that they too then are going to suffer. And, and again, and you go, it would just be so easy for people. It's like, you know, as we read in scripture, Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, let him do what? Let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me daily, right? And we see why people walk away. We see why in John where it says, you know, many heard the things that Jesus taught. And it says, and they turned and they walked with him no more. The pressure was intense. And yet in this moment, what does Jesus do? He transfigures himself right in front of them. He lets them see the end. It's just like what I said to you when we started the service. And I hope to God that when I invited you to answer that question within your own heart, if you went, if Jesus whisked me away to heaven and I got to see my eternal home with him, that I was safe in heaven, I made it. I didn't just make it, man. I had pictures on the wall, you know, of favorite stuff. You go, would that change the way that I would live today? And you go, absolutely it would. Absolutely. Would you handle pressure better? Yeah. Would you be more forgiving to other people? Absolutely. Would you, you know, uh, have a greater comfort when you were going through pain that you go, yeah, it's only temporary. We've talked about that, right? The pain is temporary. The glory is eternal. But you would know it because you were there. Well, that's what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what we have to glean from this and understand. They got to see the end of the story. They got to see what you and I now know because of the cross, because of his death and his burial and his resurrection. They hadn't seen that yet. They were just told that it was coming. And it was that, and, and the same thing, church, that worked for them is what works for us today because Paul said it. He said, the same Holy Spirit that, that was in Jesus is in us. The same Holy Spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that works mightily inside of us. And Jesus is the one who told us. He said, when I go back to the Father, he said, I'll pray and he'll send another in my name, the Holy Spirit, and he'll be with you and he'll be in you. He's going to, you're, you're going to make it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll make it because thou art with me. And, and I hope that that speaks to you like it does to me today. It, there's so much comfort, you know, in that. And so, you know, again, you, you look at that. And if you want to read these, you can go back and, and study these for yourself. In the Mount of Transfigurations in three of the four gospel accounts, it's in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. And I, I just encourage you to, Go back and to, to really try to absorb what was taking place there because it, it's so, so profound. And like I said, he, Jesus does something for them that, again, it, this, is, this is a one-time only you know, event. And, and again, and, uh, and I love what John MacArthur writes with regard to this. He says, he moves their faith to sight. He lets them see his glory. And what's Peter saying? He's going, it's like, how many likes, how many like movies? Raise your hand if you like movies, you like watching movies. How many like trailers? 
to movies. Like you can watch the movie, you know? And have you ever been burned by a trailer? Like you watch the trailer and you thought, this is going to be the best movie. And you watch and you go, dud, you know? But what Peter's telling us here, he's going, hey, I've seen the trailer. I got a preview of what was still to come. And this is a good, this is a good movie. And you, man, you, and he's telling that that's now what he's going to do is testifying. So when he says, you know, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables, but we made known to you the power, you know, and you think about that. Uh, again, <laughs> the coming of what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And again, that, that word coming there, it's important. It's the Greek word parousia. And it's always used in reference to the second coming of Jesus. And it really, it literally means the arrival or the actual presence. And so what did they get to see? And, and, and I love this because this is one of those verses in Mark chapter 9. Remember, and, and people get so confused by this, where he says, there are some of you who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the coming kingdom in glory, right? And so people go, well, wait a second. They all died. They didn't see the coming kingdom. They go, yes, they did on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw it. Peter, James, and John, some of them, not all of them, but some of them got to see it and then testify of that. And what did they see? Well, if you need the, the cross-reference for that, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, there in verse 22 and 23, it'll come up on the screen. I'll read it. It says, but I saw no temple in it. And this is talking about the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. It says, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city had no need of what? The sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord illuminated. It says the Lamb is what? The lamb is its light. That's what Peter saw. Peter got to see exactly what John got to see in that regard. And he's going, I've seen it. I've been there. I was on the mountaintop. And like I said, you go, why is it so important that two or three are there? Well, again, what does scripture tell us about testimony? Testimony being deemed to be true. That it's not subjective, that it becomes then objective. You know, Deuteronomy says that, you know, truth must be confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Matthew 18, 16 tells us the same thing. Second Corinthians 13, 1, Paul says, this will be the third time I'm coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. And again, here's God, you know, using a legal, again, so it can be put to the test. It can, by, by testifying of it, two or three witnesses. I mean, you think, you know, then four, if you count God himself. So it's pretty good, you know, First Timothy 520, even speaking of with regard to elders, it says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses and those who are sending rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. You go, this, this is a powerful thing. The testimony of, or, of two or three witnesses. Verse 17 goes on. It says in, in 2 Peter uh, 1, it says, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then verse 18 goes on. It says, and we heard this voice which came from heaven, which we were with him on the holy mountain. And like I said, you know, at, at, up to this point, their experience was subjective. It was just, hey, we saw, we heard, you know, we said. And uh, again, the, the Father's going to take this, this to a whole nother level here uh, because it will become objective because now it isn't subjective based on them, but now it's the Father speaking to them, okay? The Father, his voice, 
and again, it's not some delusional experience, you know, as, as, you know, psychologists will tell us, there's no such thing as group delusion. You know, one person might be delusional, but not as a group, as a whole. And we look at what took place with regard to the apostles and to the disciples who came after them and after them and after them. Why didn't they denounce their faith? Why didn't they walk away? Because they couldn't walk away from what they knew to be true. They didn't cave in. You know, people will, you know, again, you can, you can see where people, you know, uh, if they really are believing a lie at some point, they can just, you know, they can forsake it and walk away. But for these apostles, for these disciples, no, it was, they had come too far, you might say. They couldn't not deny what they knew to be true. You know, so they're saying, you know, we ourselves heard this voice, you know, others did not. They, they heard this voice. That was the very voice of God. And, and, and we all understand this was the second time that God did this, right? The first time, you remember where? His baptism. Jesus' baptism, remember? It says the, the Holy Spirit descended as a dove and lightened upon him. It says that a voice spoke from heaven, said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that God affirming Jesus to us. I love what John writes in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. I love, you know, look what he's saying here. And our hands we have handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that why? Why, did, why does he say that he writes them? That our joy may be full. Our joy may be full. That you'd know that this, this is the absolute truth, that even in a world where there's hatred, where there's sin, where there's death, where there's dying, where there's disease, that the ultimate end is what? Is glory. Pain is temporary. Glory is eternal. That's what he just keeps driving home each and every time. But yet it's almost as if he's willing to, to say, you know, but personal experience isn't enough. And, and again, and it wasn't just their experience. It was the truth of what they taught and the impact that it had on their disciples and those that followed after them. You know, changed lives, dramatic change that took place in their lives. No longer were they looking to themselves, trusting themselves, believing in themselves. They were, as Proverbs says, they were looking to God. They weren't looking to themselves any longer. They were, weren't leaning on their own understanding, but they began in all their ways to acknowledge him. And God did what? Did the same thing that he wants to do today. If you and I will take him at his word. It says he will direct your steps. He will direct your path. Have you ever trusted the word of God and made a decision based on the word of God? And you go, maybe it wasn't easy, but man, you recognize that it was good. Maybe God saved you, you know, from something. But yet Peter goes on and he's going, you know, it's not just that we saw him. It's not just that we heard him. We have, it's what you and I have today. He goes, we have the very scriptures ourselves." And you think about what he goes, he's, verse 19, he says, and so we have this prophetic word confirmed, he said, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You could say, or a more sure word of prophecy. You know, you think about it. 
We live in a dark world. You have a light. It's like a flashlight. You get to turn. I brought, actually brought my flashlight today. I was going to turn the lights off and show you. I, I got this flashlight for Christmas this year. It wasn't a 300 lumen flashlight. It wasn't a 700 lumen flashlight. It wasn't even a thousand lumen flashlight. It was a 10,000 lumen flashlight. And it, it's, it's awesome. I, I, you know, I've had a hundred thousand one, one time, but it was somebody bought it from me from Costco. It was like this big around, if you remember those and, and you held it in your hand, but I mean, you can't put that on your belt buckle or anything. It just looks funny. You know, you look like cousin Eddie or something. So, but I have this one and it's, and it's only like three or four inches long, but man, it's so powerful. And I was, I was showing it to Anthony the other night and I gave it to him and it was like, I only had it on for about three seconds and it was hot. And, you know, it's just, I mean, you think about in the glory of God, you know, and you think about, I think about, you know, Peter there in the courtyard, you know, when he denied Jesus and it says in, and Peter and Jesus, their eyes met. And then it says, and Peter went out and wept. And then you look at in the book of Revelation and it says, and John saw this, saw Jesus. He said, I saw this one as the son of man. He said, and his eyes were wet like fire. And that's, that's why a lot of times people will avoid the word of God because his word does what it searches us. And in, in a sense, it's like it burns a hole in us. It brings conviction and people don't want to be convicted. You know, people just, you know, we want a world that's, I was trying to explain to my wife, you know, this, the whole concept of progressive thought. When people go, well, what's the point of progressive thoughts, you know, today? And they go, well, think about it. It's utopia. That's, that's what they desire. And you can't have utopia if you have God in the truest sense, because God has parameters. God has conditions. God has a foundation. So you just want to, you know, eliminate, you know, anything and everything that would do what? That would constrain you. And so we have to eliminate God from progressive thought. Otherwise, you can never get to that place where you just experience, you know, all that you want in life. And that's the world in which we live. But it never arrives at what people would hope that it does. The ways of a man, the Bible says, what? seem right in his own eyes, but its end brings forth what? Death. And we're seeing that. He goes, the world with all the knowledge that it has today, is it really becoming a better place? And you go, no. And he goes, is it because of technology? Is it technology's fault? And you go, no. What's the problem? He goes, it's the heart of man. The heart of man hasn't changed since the fall of man. Until what? The fallen heart is redeemed by God. And we're born again. And so Peter here reminds us that we have a light that Jesus is that light, and that light is dependable, the light of God's word. When you think of Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet, and it's a light to my path. Remember when, when Jesus began his ministry, he opens up the book of Isaiah, right? And he reads from the book of Isaiah, and he says, the people who sat in darkness, says they've seen what? A great light. And Peter says, you do well to take heed of scripture because it's like a lamp. It lightens a darkened world. It lightens a darkened path. If you're not sure which direction to go today, you know, look to God's word. And he says, and to keep doing this until what? And says, till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And I kept going back to thinking about that moment there on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're asleep. They're heartbroken. And I really believe that, you know, for, as I study this, this text that they'd heard that, you know, Jesus had told them from his own mouth that, that he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, that he had to go the way of the cross. And like I said, remember, Peter's going, no, you don't, you don't need to do that. 
He didn't want to do that because Jesus was saying, and, you need, and you're going to follow me. And he told that to Peter. Remember, I shared this with you last week. He said, you know, at some point in your life, when you're old, men are going to come along and they're going to take you and they're going to lead you in places you don't want to go. And he said, and I'll show you the death by which you'll die to glorify me. And, and up to that moment, you know, at the Mount of Transfiguration, there was just no way for them to wrap their mind around it. And all of a sudden, Jesus is going, but I want you to see the end. Now that it makes sense, you know, the, the joy that set before him, he endured the cross and he despised its shame. And so Peter says, until the, until the morning star rises in your heart. That the word there for morning star, it's the Greek word, and, and it's, it's pronounced uh, phosphorus. And it's a technical term for the planet Venus, which was that bright light just before the dawn. You know, you can always tell the dawn, uh, you know, is going to begin because of the planet, you know, Venus there, you know, the morning star. And it's interesting because you think about sailors, when sailors were in the midst of a storm and they, you know, just caught in the tempest of the sea, uh, they would long and they would look through the clouds and look for that, that bright morning star. And if they saw that star, it gave them hope that guess what, that the sun would rise again. And it's like you, for you and I, that we'd go, and the mercies of God, they're new every morning. See, Jesus knew the storm of persecution was coming. His death on the cross was, like I said, just months away. And it'd be a dark day in the lives of the disciples. You know, they all scattered. Jesus said that, that would take place. And so he takes Peter and James and John up here and he shows them his glory, transfigured, like I said, right before him. Such an amazing truth. Verse 20 goes on, it says, and knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any in private interpretation. You think about, you know, what is Peter, what is Peter talking about there? That word knowing or know or knowledge, it's really, it's a key word here in Second Peter. It, it, he uses it some 16 times. He goes on in verse 21, he says, for prophecy never came by the will of man, it says, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved to the Holy Spirit. So what is Peter telling his listeners is what I'm telling you, that the Bible is like no other book, okay? The Bible wasn't pinned by men. It was pinned by holy men of God who are moved. And it's used the term moved is like a, a, the term for a sail. When a sail of a ship is, is, is when the wind hits it and begins to carry it along. Yes, the, God used ordinary men to do extraordinary things. But in this, these were men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay? Interpretation. You think of that word. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. I love what the, the New Living Translation puts it like this. No prophecy ever came from the prophets themselves. It's so important for us to remember. People, that's just a book just written by men. No, 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 no. Holy men of God move like the wind by the Spirit of God. You know, Peter's going, it's not like, you know, James or John or King David or Paul just sat down, you know, and... and wrote their God stories out, you know, or what they thought about God. 
but they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. Like I said, it's a, it's a nautical term, to be carried along by the wind. More than 40 different authors, over 1,500 years, the continuity of the Bible you and I can enjoy. I wanted to close with this. I wanted to read from John Corson's commentary on 2 Peter chapter 1. He wrote this. He said, the word is inspired indeed. 1,000 years before Jesus came, men of old were moved by the Holy Ghost to post prophetic signposts that would point to him as Messiah. David prophesied that the Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. Psalm 22:16. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would not open his mouth to defend himself when tried on false charges, Isaiah 53, 7. And although he initially would be destined for burial with the wicked, he would ultimately be buried in the tomb of a rich man, Isaiah 53, 9. Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in the town of Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Zechariah prophesied that he would ride into the holy city on the back of a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. And that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11.12. And that the silver would be used to buy a potter's field, Zechariah 11.13. And Malachi prophesied that he would have a forerunner announcing his coming in Malachi 3.1. What is the chance that... Even eight prophecies would be fulfilled in the life of one individual. The law of compound probabilities, this is what I shared with you earlier that I was going to end with. And you, most of you have probably read this or heard this before, but think about this. This is just, there's over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus, okay? And this is just saying if eight of those, if only eight of those, the chances, it says, tell us the chances, one in 10 to the 28th power, okay? So that's one with 28 zeros behind it that number. It says, in other words, you could cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and then put a mark, a red mark on one of those and toss it in there, blindfold your friend and tell him to find it. What would be the chances of him finding it? Be one in 10 to the 28th power. And you think about that and you go, and that's only eight prophecies. And to think that we have over 300 speaking of Jesus that there's no doubt, no doubt that God's word is absolute truth. And everything that he has declared, he's promised. And everything that he's promised, he is faithful to do. And that's why the apostles could give their life for that truth. That's why, in the truest sense, you and I haven't necessarily been called to die for Jesus but as my wife and I were talking about, you know, the other day, you know, if you believe in the rapture of the church, which I do, that, you know, people are going to miss the rapture because of the fact that they haven't opened their heart to Jesus Christ. And they'll be on this earth and they will go through the tribulation. And their only hope of salvation during the tribulation will be that they will die a martyr's death. They will have to be beheaded for their faith in Jesus Christ. And people will say, well, I'll do that. And you go, well, wait a second. I don't think, you know, that will be that easy to do because if you couldn't live for him now in this dispensation of grace, what makes you think that you could live for him in a time where you would literally then have to suffer and die for your faith? That, that's a risk that I would not be willing to take. But those events are true. Those events are taught in scripture. And it's why though the world gets darker, guess what? The word of God shines brighter and brighter and brighter. 
You know, we were born, church, for such a time as this. And don't miss the opportunities to know him. It's, don't make it about, okay, I've got to go out and do this. You know, go, no, no. Think about what John writes. He said, all these things were written. All the gospel accounts, everything about Jesus is so that what? We might know him. God wants you to know him. Because when you truly know him, you will love him. And when you love him, you will love people. And when you love people, you'll want people to know the truth because you know yourself the truth you know has set you free. And you'll want that truth to set them free. Amen. And that's why we study the word. That's why we go deeper into the word. You know, we will, we're just scratching the surface here, you know, and that's all we'll be doing this side of heaven. But man, what treasures, you know, we unearth every time we open our Bible and dig into it. I love, you know, the conversations I have with many of you that, and you're, when you'll go, hey, Pastor Mike, I, I was reading this and man, I got this out of the word. I got this out of the word. And there's just, that's the beauty of iron sharpen, sharpening iron. So does one man, what says the joy or the countenance of his friend. I thank God, you know, for a church like this and the, the, the pastors and the leaders and the teachers that we have to just teach the full counsel of God that we can know the pleasure and we can know the love and we can know the joy of God. Amen. So dig deep, you know, read it, trust it, rely upon it. Amen. That's the call of God in our life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love and thank you for your word. And we pray Lord that you would, again, as your word says that we would study to show ourselves approved unto God workmen who need not be ashamed, but who rightly divide the word of truth. And, that, and it's not just so that we would have knowledge, but Lord, that we would have lives. You, you came to give life. May we never forget that, that reading the Bible shouldn't be, again, as your word says, the commandments of God are not burdensome at all. They weren't to burden us. They were to free us up. They were to bring us to Jesus and to experience the fullness of life that's in him. There was never a person who walked this earth who had more joy than Jesus, more love than Jesus, more grace than Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, we look to you. We love you. We thank you for loving us, for going to the cross and dying for us, for rising again for us, for preparing a place for us that we can have the security today to know that, yes, we live in a world that's dark and there's hurt and there's, there's death and there's disease, but to know that because you live, Lord, you've made a promise to us that we will live too. And so, Lord, we thank you for that comfort. We thank you for that knowledge today. And, Lord, now we just pray that, Lord, as you would send us out, that we would be, as your word declares, your church, your bride, a light that's set on a hill that can't be hidden, that we'd be the salt of the earth that hasn't lost its flavor. The Lord is preserving and, and bringing flavor to the world around us. And so anoint us and use us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church on